Hello and welcome to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Industry professionals recognize Canadian sphagnum peat moss as the most superior soilless media base for horticultural purposes. You're listening to a video from a Canadian horticultural company trumpeting the benefits of that country's sphagnum peat moss. This is due to its homogeneous composition, high structural stability, high capacity for water and air retention, adjustable pH, and nutrient status. That's why gardeners around the world love peat moss. It's great for growing things. But another group, scientists, holds peat moss in high regard as well. That's because it may serve as a warning signal for Earth's climate. Here's what the peat looks like. So that's pretty deep down. That's mostly, that's what happens when it sinks down into the peat column. As it sinks through the column and is buried, it degrades. That's Joel Koska, professor in the School of Biological Sciences and the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, and he's digging up peat moss at an Oak Ridge National Laboratory site in northern Minnesota. It's probably about at least 5,000 years old, maybe 8,000 years. And so we can date this peat using radiocarbon analysis, just as you would date a fossil, um, you know, human fossil or otherwise. This audio is from a 2016 podcast by Georgia Tech senior science writer Ben Brumfield. Later that year, Costco was part of a team publishing research that provided a slight bit of good news about climate change. Namely, the methane trapped in ancient peat moss was showing no signs yet of being released into the atmosphere in large quantities as the Earth's climate grows warmer. That's important since methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. What about other gases and nutrients in that peat moss? What about the other plants and soils in the environment? In 2018, Costco's Microbial Ecology Lab team was awarded a National Science Foundation grant to find the answers to those questions and continue its studies of the microbes in peat moss. It turns out that peat moss could be one of the most important plants to the global carbon cycle. It could store more carbon, arguably, than other, any other plant on Earth. And the reason for that is that the carbon that's stored uh, in freshwater wetlands and peatlands is largely from peat moss. Peat moss produced that carbon in these thick peat deposits mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in peatlands across the world. This is about more than peat moss, however. Not a lot is known right now about how climate change is affecting the microbial community. In fact, another School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences professor, marine microbiologist Frank Stewart, co-signed a letter with more than 30 other scientists in summer 2019 encouraging the science community to boost microbial studies in climate science research. For Koska, his NSF grants a chance to find if the environment is reeling in other ways from warming temperatures. How is climate change affecting carbon, nitrogen in our soil? Is it winnowing down microbial diversity and affecting key functions they provide for certain plants in the environment? Microbiomes are all the microscopic living things in a certain environment, including our bodies. When we get sick, we want to know everything about those microbiomes. There are plenty of questions to answer about the planet's microbiome as well. I would say our laboratory studies 
um, the ecosystem services or functions provided by microorganisms. Mm -hmm. And uh, microorganisms are often the great decomposers in ecosystems, breaking down dead and dying organic matter and uh, producing greenhouse gases. And I would say that the, I always, uh, when I teach introductory microbiology here at Georgia Tech, I always say that the, the, the greatest uh, way that microbes impact climate is just by producing and consuming greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. And that's largely through these natural processes like decomposition um, that we study in, in my lab. We largely focus on soils and sediments, mm -hmm. uh, which is often, these are often repositories for dead and dying organic matter. Plants die and they fall to the forest floor. Mm -hmm. uh, wetland plants die and they're broken down in the soils. Let me ask you why we do study freshwater wetlands or peatlands, this, this mix of wet and dry that's going yeah. on and how that impacts the microbes. Yeah, we, we, we focus on freshwater wetlands because they're so important to the release of greenhouse gases on Earth. So uh, about one-third of all the methane, methane is an important greenhouse gas that's released annually uh, from the surface of the Earth, is coming from freshwater wetlands. Mm -hmm. And if you include rice paddy soils, which are also a freshwater wetland, mm -hmm. uh, albeit a cultivated one by, by humans, sure. um, that would be over half of all the methane that's released uh, annually from the Earth's surface is coming from some freshwater uh, wetland. So mm -hmm. we want to understand, you know, what controls that, uh, that process and that release of greenhouse gas. How are those ecosystems vulnerable to that? What's the biggest risk that you're studying? Freshwater wetlands are dominated by plants. They're vegetated ecosystems, right? Mm -hmm. And largely grasses, grasses that withstand wet environments are, uh, are present, wet, uh, grasses and other plants. Um, the, uh, the hypothesis is that as climate warms, plants will, be, uh, will become more active mm -hmm. and they will suck more water out of the soil, essentially. They, through evapotranspiration, they'll draw more water out of the soil and this will lead to a drying out of wetland ecosystems. Mm -hmm. So the thought is as climate warms, fre freshwater wetlands will dry out and that will lead to uh, the release of more greenhouse gases. And the, the reason for that is that now one of the reasons why we think that freshwater wetlands store so much carbon is because they're cold mm -hmm. and because they're wet. Uh, and in climate models, we often uh, predict how much greenhouse gas is going to come out of a soil based on whether it's wet or not. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is wherever it's wet, oxygen diffuses more slowly into the soil. And so oxygen is used up fast by microbes, and there's not much oxygen available for respiration, which releases greenhouse gas. Okay. Uh, so if it's wetter, organic matter uh, uh, breakdown slows down, um, less respiration occurs, so you have more carbon going in as photosynthesis than carbon coming out as respiration. Some of those microbes also have other things to do besides digest organic matter. They sometimes work with plants to infuse them with important nutrients. And Koska and his team have discovered that that process may indeed be downgraded by climate change. Here he talks about microbes and the importance of nitrogen fixation, a method of converting nitrogen gas in the atmosphere in a way that can be used by plants. So I mentioned that, that microbes are the great decomposers of, of ecosystems, mm -hmm. breaking down dead and dying organic matter. Um, they are also really important to the cycling of major nutrients, nitrogen and phosphorus uh, in ecosystems. 
And uh, we know that a lot of these freshwater wetlands that store so much carbon on a global scale are nutrient poor. They have very low uh, amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus. So it's thought that microorganisms are very important to uh, to the input of nutrients into these ecosystems. They provide a supply of nutrients to the eco- ecosystem, mm-hmm. especially nitrogen. And uh, the, the hypothesis is that microorganisms supply nitrogen to these freshwater wetland ecosystems through a process called nitrogen fixation. Mm-hmm. This is a process that only microbes do. Uh, so you and I can't fix nitrogen, um, and, and plants also can't do it themselves. Only microbes fix nitrogen. So you might have heard about leguminous uh, plants, for example, legumes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, for example, soybeans are, are, are legumes. And these uh, plants have special structures in their roots that cultivate microbes to fix nitrogen. So they mm-hmm. don't do it themselves, the microbes do it. In the same way, in these freshwater wetlands, there are microbes that can fix nitrogen and serve as a major input of nutrient into the ecosystem. So we're concerned that that service that the microbes provide to the ecosystem, adding nitrogen, mm-hmm. uh, may be affected by climate change. And indeed, we have evidence now that that occurs. Hear me cutting through the, the roots here. Really, they're really thick roots. We take you back to that 2016 visit to Minnesota and the spruce facility run by the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Yes, there are plenty of spruce trees in Minnesota, but in this case, spruce stands for Spruce and Peatland Responses Under Changing Environments. 20 acres of the Chippewa National Forest is protected for experimentation. What's really unique about this uh, climate change experiment is also that it involves whole ecosystem warming. So these giant chambers... Uh, enclosures that that cover the whole ecosystem, all the trees, all the shrubs, all the plants. Um, They're open top enclosures and that's because uh, these particular freshwater wetlands bogs get all of their nutrients from the atmosphere, from from rain and from snow, as well as from microbes. And so uh, they they have to be open to the top in order to get their their nutrients, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, These chambers are warmed from not warm, not warmed at all, all the way up to nine degrees Celsius above ambient, which is okay. is a, a lot warmer than the the surroundings. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so in these uh, in this spruce experiment, we have been studying, uh, of course, how microbes change with with climate um, with climate mm-hmm. warming and carbon dioxide enrichment. We have seen evidence in the field that carbon dioxide and, and that more carbon dioxide and more methane are coming out of the bog mm-hmm. uh, uh, with warming. So warming causes an increase in the amount of greenhouse gas release. And we have various measurements from my group and from other groups around the country that have shown this, that uh, as we uh, warm the whole ecosystem, we see more greenhouse gas coming out of the soil. Okay. So we, we conducted an experiment in the laboratory to look more into those controls of greenhouse gas release to, to verify the, the field results and find out which microbes might be involved in, in, uh, in releasing the greenhouse gas mm-hmm. and further understand the controls of that process. Koska explains the experiments he and his team conducted. Some of the conclusions have given him pause regarding microbial diversity and climate change. 
And so what we did was basically we just took peat uh, from the surface soils up there in northern Minnesota. We put it in test tubes and we and we warmed that uh, peat from from you know no warming mm-hmm. uh, uh, all the way up to uh, to uh, forty degrees Celsius. So a big temperature range. Sure. We, we warmed uh, the peat and we studied how much greenhouse gas uh, came out of the the peat in the test tube. Mm-hmm. And then we also looked at how the microbes uh, change uh, with warming. And what we found was a huge decline in microbial diversity with warming Mm -hmm. and also an increase in greenhouse gas release as we had seen in the field. Another important observation that we've seen is it really matters which greenhouse gas is coming out of the the freshwater wetland. Okay, And the reason for that is that methane stores a lot more heat than carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So even though a lot more carbon dioxide is coming out of these wetlands than, than methane, because methane stores so much heat, it really matters to, uh, to climate and to, to the greenhouse effect. What we see with warming, both in the laboratory and the field, is that the greenhouse gases are becoming more methanogenic, so more methane-rich with warming. So in other words, uh, there's more methane relative to CO2 uh, as the temperature rises. And we think the reason for that is because methanogens, the microbes that produce methane, are actually, they don't like the cold so much. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a very energy, um, a poor process to produce methane. It doesn't produce much energy for the microbes, yeah. so it's not really favored in the cold. And so then as the system warms, as the ecosystem warms, the methanogens become more happy, mm-hmm. and they produce more methane in comparison to other microbes that are that are present. We have seen in, in other ecosystems and in freshwater wetlands uh, that warming stimulates uh, methane production. Mm-hmm. I think what we what what our group is 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 adding to that story is that the, the, the controls of the, that ratio of methane to CO2. That's what we haven't understand in the past is what are the microbes and specific microbial processes that will produce methane mm-hmm. versus other gases like carbon dioxide. Okay. And so we're, what's new about this is that we, um, we quantify that ratio. Another, uh, uh, something else that's new, perhaps more important to the microbiology, is the decline in diversity. That has not been uh, shown in the past, that there's a decline in microbial diversity with climate warming, or with, in this case, simulated climate warming in a test tube, right? Mm-hmm. We did this yeah. experiment in the laboratory. We have some data from the field that, that uh, also suggest a decline in, uh, or indicate a, a decline in microbial diversity with warming. We're talking about microbial species, different types of, of microbes that are present. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason why we think that's important to ecosystem function is because it makes sense that with disturbance, with, with any kind of change or perturbation, um, uh, when an ecosystem responds, you would expect that if you have more types of, of organisms, large and small, mm-hmm. that they will do better at responding to, to extreme conditions or to changes, to disturbances, yeah. right? So generally in, in ecology, we think that a more diverse ecosystem is more able to respond to changes. Okay, mm-hmm. and so therefore, if the microbial diversity is going down, we think that that system will be 
uh, less able to deal with changes like changes in weather, yeah. seasonal changes from cold to to uh, warm that happen every you know every annual cycle. Okay. Um, so, so in other words, we think diversity is proportional to the health of the ecosystem. Okay, and so the the, uh, the hypothesis is that as microbial diversity declines with warming, that ecosystem will be uh, less able to uh, 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 to function and less able to uh, deal with with disturbances and, and and problems that that arise. We mentioned before that scientists have some gaps to fill regarding what they know about climate change and what it's doing to microbes. In Koska's view, researchers are also playing catch-up when it comes to knowledge of plant microbiomes in general. First of all, the study of plant microbiomes is very much in its infancy. We're probably at least 10 years behind the study of the human microbiome. Um, and so we're, we're, still in, in, we're just still trying to discover what types of microbes are present and what they do for plants, okay? We've been doing that with this important uh, peat moss plant for at least five years mm -hmm. um, now, and, and, and we feel like we have a good idea of what microbes are present and why they're important. Leading-edge technology allows Koska's team to add to the bigger microbiome picture. Remember Koska talking about nitrogen fixation when microbes enable plants to use nitrogen? PCR or polymerase chain reaction, is used to make copies of the DNA of the genes that code for nitrogen fixation. He and his team are adding to a global database of those genes to share with other researchers. This comes up again when I ask Koska about how this research could lead to ways to mitigate the effects of climate change on plants and microbes. One thing that we, we uh, could do uh, for intervention is to develop what we call probiotics for plants. Okay, okay so right. can we develop a microbial cocktail of nitrogen fixers, for example? So the, the recent paper that I, I told you, or that we, we talked a bit about, mm -hmm. uh, shows that nitrogen fixation is very much affected by warming, that certain nitrogen fixing bacteria are not favored with yeah. warming and go away uh, from, the, from the microbiome. That's what our data shows. And so if you could add back some of those nitrogen fixers to the plant, mm -hmm. you know, spray it on the surface of the, of, of the plant or somehow introduce it into the ecosystem, that would be one sort of intervention yeah. or uh, a mitigation effort that you could uh, do to, to help the process. That and simply just understand, you know, you know, as I said, we, we large, a lot of times we'll predict how much greenhouse methane in particular is going to come out of the soil just based on whether it's wet or not. Yeah. We don't really know all of the microbial processes that, or, and, and all of the ecosystem processes that, that, uh, that lead to that, whether gas is released or not. Yeah. So right now in the models, it's just simply how wet is the soil or not. Yeah. So we want to provide microbial parameters uh, and chemical parameters that we can then input into these earth system models that can tell us better whether gas is going to be released and how much gas is going to be released, whether it's methane or CO2. I'd like to thank Joel Koska, professor in the School of Biological Sciences and the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, for his time. His Microbial Ecology Lab website is at Joel Koska, that's J-O-E-L-K-O-S-T-K-A dot net. SunGrow Horticulture produced the Canadian Sphagnum peat moss video. 
Cyan Joe, a former research associate, composed our theme music. If you like Science Matters, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us at Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. This is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Thanks for listening.